Good morning, church. It is, uh, it's good to be with you today. We've been uh, on our own little journey of sickness in our place, but how great is it to see Josh back up here, right? Yeah. It's great to see him up here, even better to see him after an unplanned, fresh encounter uh, with God with a lot of intimate conversations, I'm sure. So, uh, super excited for um, for you to be here, for you to be leading in worship, and for you to be in uh, such forced, deep communion with God, having real good conversations, I'm sure. Um, coming up, we have our men's breakfast on Saturday here at 8 o'clock. We'd love to see you guys out. It's in the, be in the gray zone. Uh, but good food, good fellowship with that. We have a parenting class that's beginning this week. You can see that on your insert notes there. We also started our starting point class this morning. It's a five-week class. We catch up from week one. If you want to join in for the rest of that, it met at 9 o'clock and will for the next four weeks as well. Now, last week we began our Unstoppable series here looking at the kingdom of God through the book of Acts, specifically some of the sermons that we see in Acts. And we listened in as Jesus told his followers to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And then he commissioned them that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, their waiting is different than our waiting. Okay? Some of us have waited now multiple times to get our COVID tests back, right? It's not the same. Like in COVID, you either get the negative effect of you have it and you have to quarantine, or the negative effect of you don't have it, but since you're around somebody who has it, you get to quarantine. And it's not good. Um, it's not the same as some of you might have experienced if you were um, Chicago Cubs fans, right? You're not going to have to wait 108 years between championships. Jesus didn't say, stay here for 108 years and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? Now, it's not the same waiting that maybe some of you had this week if you bought a Powerball ticket. You know, am I luck and luck and luck and luck and luck and lucky that... I just might, no, it's not that. Jesus said, wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and incredible things are going to happen. I thought Drew did a great job at not just unfolding the narrative of Acts chapter 1, but building the anticipation that we find that Jesus' followers have in these days between his resurrection and his ascension back into heaven. Okay, remember, this is the second time now that these followers of Jesus have waited. The first time came after the crucifixion, and they were afraid, and they were defeated, and they weren't expecting the resurrection, even though he had laid all this out for them, and their waiting at that point was interrupted, remember, by a resurrected Jesus, <laughs> and it changed them, and it changed their world, and so this time... Jesus has spent now 40 days with his followers between his resurrection and his time of ascending back to the Father. 40 days he spent with numerous ones we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there is a high anticipation as they're waiting. Because God was about to launch them and about to launch the gospel into the world. And yet they had no clue how it was going to happen. Right, turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Okay? In Acts chapter 2, 
We're going to see how it unfolds. And this passage in Acts introduces to us the three um, most important keys to the book of Acts. Okay? The first is the coming of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that unfold for us in Acts chapter 2. The second is that evangelism becomes the call of the church. Okay? That's always why God leaves us here. God could gather us to himself anytime. But there are people who are not part of his family, people who need to hear the gospel. That's why he leaves us, the church, in the world. And then number three, we watch the community that's shared by Jesus' followers here in Acts chapter 2. And our greatest picture we have of that is just an incredible way. And all three of these factors contributed to the early church being an unstoppable force in their world. And all three factors are necessary if we are going to be used by God as a force in our world as a church. Okay? Now, the events of Acts chapter 2 unfold for us on the day of Pentecost. Now, the, the, the name Pentecost comes from the fact that this celebration takes place 50 days after the Passover. Okay? Now, to me, the most significant part of Pentecost is that it is one of three pilgrimage festivals, meaning festivals where Jews from all over the world were to come in person to Jerusalem to give God their gifts and offerings. Okay? So as Acts chapter 2 unfolds, Jewish people from all over the world have come to Jerusalem and they are going to hear the gospel preached. And many of them are going to respond to the gospel message. And guess what? When they go home, they're going to go home to Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth because that's where they all came from to the festival. So on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were all together in one place and the Holy Spirit descends as Jesus promised and we see that the people we're amazed when this happens. Look down at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites... Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. 
fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus had promised his followers during his lifetime. And again in Acts chapter 1, after his resurrection, that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And now he's going to deliver on that promise in a mighty way. And let's remember that, that the Holy Spirit was active before Pentecost. Okay? The Holy Spirit was there during creation. He showed up numerous times in the Old Testament. We read that he was present in the life and the ministry of Jesus for sure. But now the Holy Spirit is going to live in people, not just come on them. It's a big difference. Now his presence would be permanent, whereas before it seemed to be more temporary and situational. And I want to just pause a moment to think about what is actually happening here. I mean, we just celebrated Christmas a couple weeks ago, right? Remember we talked about Emmanuel, God with us. And now, now we're watching an even deeper level of commitment by God to his people. He's not just with us. He's now living in us. Jesus told his followers, you'll receive the Holy Spirit or you'll see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And here it is taking place. And it's the same power, the same Holy Spirit that is available to you and to me. And think about how it changes everything. Think about how much more personal, how much more intimate this relationship with God has become. Now he's not only for us and he's not only with us, but he's actually in us. I'm sitting, uh, standing <laughs> in front of that chair during our worship service thinking that God is not just with me. And he's not just for me. But he's in me. And he's empowering us as his people. Like every moment of every day. We just let that sink in and take a pause and it adds a whole new perspective to my reality as a child of God that I am never alone. Literally, never alone. And so the people watched. And God shows up in a mighty way. And they responded like others have before and people still do today, right? Some were touched. And they were amazed. And they wanted to know more. Others rejected, ridiculed what was said. 
And we're not surprised, are we? I mean, we give testimony to the work of God in our lives and in our world. And some people rejoice. (laughs) And others yawn. Still others show disdain, right? And listen, Jesus told us this would happen. And I suppose if everyone is pleased with what we do, we're probably not being truly faithful to God in the first place, right? It doesn't always play well, okay? And yet this demonstration of power that we read about here in Acts chapter 2, it was for a purpose. When the Holy Spirit showed up and allowed these men to speak in different languages, it was so that the gospel was preached. That was the whole point of this. Back in Acts chapter 2, After God has the attention of all the people, they gather, and we pick up in verse 22, realizing everyone is hearing the very same message in a language that they can understand. And so we we read about the highlights from Peter's sermon. We get some words later that tell us this isn't all he said, but these are the highlights, beginning in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this, Peter says. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence." Peter goes on, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Remember, Jesus had been walking on the earth for 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. No doubt word had gotten out. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that at one point he was before 500 different people all at the same time. And word had spread that this Jesus had risen from the dead. But it goes on, verse 33, he is also exalted to the right hand of God. And he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out on you what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. This God, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? So here we are, less than two months 
after Jesus uh, had been crucified in this very city of Jerusalem where this is all taking place. And Peter reminds the people that they are the ones that are responsible for Jesus' death. And yet he also adds that it was part of God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Each time this comes up, I try to remember or remind us. You know, there's a tension between God's plan and personal responsibility. Okay? That's why we have to make choices and our decisions, they really matter in this life. While God planned for Jesus to die on the cross... Those who carried out the act, Peter says, were still responsible for what they did. And yet there is so much more that had been a part of God's plan all the way along from beginning to end. Even King David knew about it. For God had raised this Jesus that they crucified from the dead. Again, after two months, no doubt people had heard about Jesus' resurrection. And Peter says, beyond just walking this earth after death, which is incredible, he's now sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. And before their eyes, he had poured out his Holy Spirit in a way that was unmistakable that God was doing this. And so in convincing fashion, God was showing them that this Jesus they crucified he was not only the Christ, meaning the deliverer of Israel, he was also the Lord. Um, and the people were rightly convicted. <laughs> what have we done? I'm sure they were thinking. Satan's plan was exposed. God's greater plan was revealed, and they knew, they knew, right? They were used to accomplish the unthinkable. They had crucified the Son of God. They knew they were guilty. They knew there were implications. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? And we see back in Acts chapter 2 that they responded. First Peter responds. I mean, put all the pieces together for them. Right? God's plan to send a Messiah. Their actions that caused Jesus' death. God's power that had been seen in the resurrection. And then the power of the Holy Spirit displayed before their eyes. They couldn't deny that God was calling out to them. And so Peter answers their question, what should we do in response to our guilt, beginning in verse 38. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, including you and me. With many other words, Okay, this was just a part of his sermon. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the unstoppable church begins. What an amazing day. I mean, and what amazing God. Some of the same people that were responsible for the crucifixion, for the death of Jesus, now personally receive the benefit of that death? That's an amazing thing that God has done here. Only he could do that. And people from all over the world who were faithful to God show up in Jerusalem and hear this message 
about God. And they meet him in a new and completely unexpected way. And not only that, but they're going to leave Jerusalem with God living inside them in the form of the Holy Spirit. Who would have expected that? And God had a plan all along. That's what we remind when we kind of zoom back out. God had a plan all along. And he is unfolding it for them before their eyes. Sin entered the world. God had a plan to remove it as a barrier between him and mankind. And now that plan was complete, at least on God's part. All that was left was for those people and for you and I as people to respond to God's offer. And so Peter's going to give them two stipulations and two promises or two blessings to them. People are called on to repent, okay? meaning to change the direction of their lives and to be baptized as a sign of the new life that God is giving them. Okay? So Peter calls them to respond like the gospel is the gospel, but its power is when we respond. And when God becomes a part of our life, just on its own, it, it won't change us until we receive it. And so what Peter calls them to do is the same thing that God calls for us to do because they had sinned and you and I have sinned and we have to respond to the death of Jesus as the price for our sin. So Peter says, repent, okay, or change your life in your priorities. That's our part. That's how we respond. And he says, be baptized or let God change your life through his work. And that's God's part. Remember, we talk periodically about the three parts of life. God's part, my part, and someone else's part. So God's part is pretty clearly laid out for Peter, by Peter here. And it leaves them with a response. And it leaves you and I with a response. What am I going to do with God's offer to take my sin away? Okay? And then we kind of sometimes become the third person. Because if I've responded to that, then I have a message to share with others. And that's what the early church is going to do. And that's why the world is going to change. Because they understood this isn't just something I receive. It's also something that I pass along. So Peter and these other followers of Jesus preached the gospel, and the people responded. And Peter says, them, says to them as a result that they would receive the forgiveness of sin, and they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and experience the Holy Spirit. And so what we see as a result was this incredible, unstoppable church that is formed and transformed all at the same time. Okay, So we have these group of believers, the followers of Jesus, and now these 3,000 plus new followers of Jesus, and they are going to change the world. I mean, the Holy Spirit comes on them as promised from Acts chapter 1. And they become witnesses to Jesus and his transforming power. Just as Jesus had promised, it begins in Jerusalem, and they're going back to every nation under heaven. And their lives were changed. Look down at the text beginning in verse 42. And this is what it looked like. It says, They devoted, these new followers and old followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So these 3,000 plus new believers, they needed instruction in the word of God. And they needed fellowship with God's people if they were to grow and to become effective witnesses in their world. The early church did more than make converts. They made disciples. They grew them. They trained them. They equipped them and they unleashed them. Now, what did it look like practically in their lives? What played out in their lives through discipleship and through worship, through community, through ministry, through outreach. All the things we see in these five verses, you can see their values and then how it affected their lives with one another and how it affected their lives with those outside the church. And we have a, a great description here. In fact, we find it just so significant that later in February and March, we're just going to spend five weeks camped out here on these five verses, just unfolding for you what it looks like in a series we're going to call The Power of We. What does it look like when God's people connect with Him and with one another and the effect that it has on life? For, so for today, though, just let me highlight two powerful effects that we see of this change that's happening. In verse 47, it says, first of all, that the church had a tremendous influence on those around them. Okay? We read that they were enjoying the favor of all the people, followers of Jesus, impacting their city by embracing the life and the teaching of Jesus. And secondly, God brought people into his kingdom. Right, verse 47 ends by declaring, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The kingdom of God was on fire. It was unstoppable. It was growing. And this is what we have to continue to pray for and work towards as the fruit of our lives and as the fruit of our church as well. That's what it looks like to be on mission with Jesus. These verses right here. Some of you know that uh, J.B. Phillips uh, wrote a paraphrase of the Bible. Okay? In his uh, preface to the books of, book of Acts in the New Testament, which he entitled The Young Church in Action, he writes this. He says, one cannot spend several months in close study of this book of Acts without being profoundly stirred. And to be honest, disturbed, he said. The reader is stirred because he sees Christianity, the real thing, in action for the first time in human history. Here we are seeing the church in its first youth, valiant and unspoiled. A body of ordinary men and women joined in an unconquerable fellowship never seen before on earth. But the reader is also disturbed, he says, for surely this is the church as it was meant to be. It's vigorous and flexible, for these are the days before it became fat and short of breath through prosperity, or muscle-bound over organization. These men didn't make acts of faith. They believed. They didn't say their prayers. They prayed. 
They didn't hold conferences on psychosomatic medicine. They simply healed the sick. By modern standards, they may have been naive, but perhaps their very simplicity, because of their very simplicity, perhaps because of their readiness simply to believe, to obey, to give, to suffer, and if necessary, to die, the Spirit of God found that he could work in them and work through them. And so they turned the world upside down. So how about you, my friend? Have you responded to God's call? Because that's where it all starts. And if not, why not? And if not, why not today? And if you have um, responded to God's call, and God's spirit is alive in you. And Jesus has made you new. Does it look anything like Acts chapter 2 in your life? If not, might it be because sometimes we settle for a version of salvation that doesn't include the fruit of God fully alive in us and through us? Today, if you are his, would you commit anew to being part of God's unstoppable church? I'd love to talk to you about either of those today, wherever you're at. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship and either during that singing or after the service, I'll be in back and I'd love to talk to you about where you're at with responding to Jesus and his um, being alive in you through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, you, um, you birthed this unstoppable church through your plan. All that we see unfolding in the book of Acts, it is all your plan. All the things that you designed, the fruition, the coming to fullness of your Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lives in us today, the same church that we are part of today. Lord, may we see and experience the fruit of of your spirit and the fruit of our lives being put into play for you. That is our hope and our prayer in the name of Jesus.